can use uh, what we learn here today as part of our sanctification to become more Christ-like and to worship you in truth uh, more correctly. And we pray that you uh, open our ears to hear and uh, that we might learn uh, from this time. Uh, And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're going to be continuing our series here looking at different uh, men. This morning we're going to look at Jonah, and um, most of the material that I'm using is coming from uh, uh, John MacArthur's book, 12 Unlikely Heroes. I also uh, use some material from Abner Chow, a professor at uh, the Master's University now. Uh, Phil Johnson also, and a paper by Eugene Merrill, who's at uh, uh, Dallas uh, Seminary. Uh, But I'm going to take a cue from um, Mark Herriger and give you a quiz first, okay? So you have to get 70% on this or come back for uh, uh, some additional learning uh, classes then later. So (laughs) we'll see how you do on this. Not too hard. Question one. When God first called Jonah to be a prophet, he boarded a ship at Joppa bound for Tarshish. Why? Here's multiple choice. Multiple choice. Don't give it away to everybody else. And let me warn you here that more than one of the multiple choice things could be correct. You'll have to figure that out, okay, as we go through this. So here are your choices. He was going to meet with the prophet Elijah. He thought God wanted him to go to seminary there first. He was trying to escape from the Assyrian army. He was trying to run away from God. Okay, question two. What happened to the ship? A great storm arose and threatened to break the ship apart. Or it was overtaken and boarded by the Assyrians. Or three, it was overtaken and boarded by pirates. Next question. How did the mariners first determine that Jonah was the cause of their trouble? He told them. They tortured him until he confessed. They cast lots. God spoke to them. Okay? Question four. How did Jonah end up in the sea? The sailors threw him overboard. He was thrown off the ship by the force of the storm. He jumped into the sea to escape from the men trying to kill him. Or God sent a whirlwind to lift him from the ship and drop him in the sea. Okay? Question five, how did Jonah end up back on dry land? He rode on the back of a giant fish, which took him to shore. He was swallowed by a giant fish, which spit him out on the shore after three days. Or he swam for three days and nights, finally reaching Tarshish. Or he clung to a piece of the destroyed ship until he drifted to shore. Okay, how are you doing so far? Next question, when Jonah finally arrived at Nineveh, what was the message Jonah gave to the Ninevites? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or, woe to Nineveh, city of wickedness. Or, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Or the last choice, the Lord God is one. You shall have no other gods before him. Seventh question. How did the king of Nineveh do in response to Jonah's proclamation? He ordered Jonah to leave the city and never return. He and his commanders ridiculed Jonah and gave and called him a babbling fool. Or he declared that everyone in Nineveh should give up their evil ways and violence and wear sackcloth as a sign of repentance. Or he directed that a temple be built and all his people should worship the God of Jonah. Next question, what did God do to the city of Nineveh and its inhabitants? First, he destroyed Nineveh and all of its inhabitants in a storm of fire and brimstone. 
or he destroyed Nineveh and all of its inhabitants in an earthquake. Or he spared Nineveh from the destruction because of their repentance. Or he made Nineveh an even greater city than it had been before. Next question. What did Jonah do after delivering God's message to the Ninevites? He made himself a shelter outside of the city of Nineveh and waited to see what God would do. Or he went to Tarshish and delivered God's message there also. Or he went to Joppa and delivered God's message there. Or he begged God to leave him alone and let him go back to his home in Israel. Next question, what did God do to teach Jonah a lesson? He let Jonah eat lavishly and then sent him to a place of famine. Or God sent Jonah to a mountaintop and showed him all the lands of his creation. Or he caused Jonah to be taken captive by the Assyrians in fear for his life. Or God grew a vine to shelter Jonah from the sun and then destroyed the vine. What is the sign of Jonah that's referred to? A crucifix? The star of David? Three days in a fish? Or the repentance of the city at Jonah's preaching? A little more difficult there, maybe. Who was king of Judah while Jonah was alive? Samuel? Amittai or Jeroboam? Jonah's name. Jonah's name means what? Fish, angel, prophet, or dove. Okay? Important to know that. Jonah is referred to in the New Testament, true or false? Jonah was referred to in the Old Testament book of Genesis, Psalms, Second Kings, or Malachi. Okay, two more questions. Jonah was from what city? Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Gath Hepner, or Detroit? Jonah's father's name was what? Amittai? Jeroboam, Ashuradan uh, the third, or Ralph. Okay? So I'm not going to give you the answers straight up. I'm going to let you figure those out as we go along, and afterwards, if you still don't know the answer to some of those, uh, we can talk about it after the lesson this morning. But first, to help you try and find the answers and to really understand this, we're just going to read through the whole book of Jonah. It's not very long, four chapters. So here we go. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, okay, so it's not Ralph, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? 
and what of and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Then the waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, the greatest of them, to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? What is... That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well 
to be angry? Jonah went out from the city and said to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and it came up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that that he was faint. And when he asked what Uh, that he might die and said it is better for me to die than to live but God said to Jonah do do you do well to be angry for the plant and he said yes I do well to be angry angry enough to die and the Lord said you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and which you um, and perished in a night And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And so ends the book of Jonah. So some interesting things here for us to look at. But let's skip forward right now to uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, and see what happens there. Uh, and what Jesus has to say about Jonah. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he, Jesus, answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And then in chapter 16, Jesus says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given it to it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and departed. So what are we to do with this account of Jonah? God had come to Jonah with a simple command. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. The mandate he was given was clear and direct. Preach a message of repentance or judgment to the Assyrians in their capital city of Nineveh. But Jonah, for Jonah, this was really difficult. Submitting to the directive proved to be a tremendously difficult task. Instead of heading east toward Assyria, The prophet fled in the opposite direction. He boarded the ship for Tarshish, the westernmost port in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, part of Spain. But he would soon learn in a very astounding way that it is dangerous to try and outrun God. Jonah had his reasons for fleeing. The Assyrian capital, capital was situated along the Tigris River. That's part of uh, modern-day Iraq and boasted a population that's estimated around 600,000 people, making it a, an exceptionally large city for that time. The city was originally built by Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, who was likely in charge of the building of the Tower of Babel also. It had become a capital city uh, of that pagan enemy nation of Assyria and represented everything evil that the Israelites hated. And Nineveh was just as wicked as it was impressive in size. The Assyrians were notoriously brutal and wicked. 
the kings uh, boasted of horrific ways in which they massacred their enemies and mutilated their captives uh, from uh, dismemberment to decapitation, all kinds of um, torture. So this posed uh, an incredibly uh, horrendous threat to Israel. Jonah, who administered in the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of King uh, Jeroboam II, had prophesied that the borders of Israel would be restored through the military victories of their king, and that's found in 2 Kings. So there's another one of your answers. To subsequently take a message of repentance and hope to Israel's hated enemies was really unthinkable in his mind. The Assyrians were like terrorists today, bent on the annihilation of anyone that stood in their path. If anyone deserves God's judgment, so Jonah thought, it was the Ninevites. They were not worthy of compassion and forgiveness. In fact, uh, a century after Jonah and the repentance of the Ninevites, the Lord would condemn a subsequent generation in that city through the prophet Nahum for its arrogance and deception and idolatry and, and violence. But before dispensing that wrath on that future generation, God determined first to offer the people of Nineveh mercy and forgiveness through rep- repentance. And Jonah was commissioned to deliver that message. But the prophet didn't want to see Israel's enemies receive mercy. He knew that the Lord would forgive the Ninevites if they repented, and he hated that thought. His hatred of sinners, Jonah's hatred of sinners, regardless of how he rationalized, put him in a very dangerous position. As a prophet of God, he surely knew what his duty was. Okay, He would rather take the chastening or the correction of the Lord than uh, seeing his actions being an instrument to convert the Gentiles, or the Assyrians in this case. That bizarre perspective uh, was what characterized his life at that point in time. He would... um, He thought that if he ran in the opposite direction, he would no longer be available for the task, and God might find somebody else to go to Nineveh, but he couldn't be more wrong. Though this disobedience was the case with this one man, it was also a symptom of a national failure of epic proportions. When Jonah rebelled against the Lord's command and ran in the opposite direction, he really epitomized the collective failure of the nation of Israel to fulfill their God-given mission. And if you've been listening to Steve over the past year or so, you know what that uh, mission is. From the beginning, the Lord elected Israel to be a nation of missionaries. As his chosen people, they were to be a light to the Gentiles, a people so passionate in their devotion to the Lord and zealous for the other nations to love and worship the true God that their corporate testimony would reverberate through the world. From within Israel, the Lord selected special men to be his prophets and to lead the missionary task. He called on them to confront Israel's apathy and also proclaim a message of repentance to the surrounding nations, warning them of God's impending judgment. So, you know, we see prophets um, throughout that we are familiar with. They address the nations like Assyria, Babylon, Edom, Egypt, Syria, Tyre, and other Gentile nations uh, around them. For the most part, those prophets ministered within the borders of Israel and Judah, even while they gave warnings to other nations. But Jonah's cry as one of the minor prophets, what we classify as a minor prophet, was unique. He was commanded to travel outside of Israel and preach to the Assyrians right in their capital. Though most of these prophets ministered faithfully, the people of Israel as a whole had rejected God uh, and the appointed preachers and failed in their own missionary task. Far from fulfilling their 
mandate uh, to be an evangelist to the nations around them, they had even become arrogant and apathetic in their own faith and worship. Thus, the Lord's command to Jonah to go preach repentance to Nineveh was more than just a missionary assignment. Jonah was sent to Nineveh to, in part to shame Israel by the fact that a pagan city would repent at the preaching of one stranger, whereas Israel would not repent and obey God through, though being preached to by many prophets. The fact that the Ninevites re- responded while Israel walked in unbelief was a stinging rebuke to God's chosen people. Centuries later, Jesus himself would use the Ninevites to admonish the unbelieving Pharisees of the day. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, later this morning. The heathen city of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, but the Pharisees refused to repent at the preaching of the greatest of all the prophets in spite of overwhelming evidence that he was actually their Messiah. Most Christians today know the names of prophets like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and Joel. And Jonah is one of those minor prophets that most of us are very familiar with. And really all, I mean, secular society, unbelievers know who Jonah is and what the story is there, even though they may not understand the significance of it. Unfortunately, though, Jonah's example as a prophet is largely negative. He illustrates what not to do. The self-indulgent prophet, through a selfish attitude and actions, provides for us a picture of ministry gone wrong in the extreme. Most people would think that he should have been fired from his job, yet God worked through him to produce a campaign of preaching that brought hundreds of thousands of people to salvation. The book of Jonah teaches us that even when a preacher is reluctant to see sinners saved, God's not reluctant to save them. The Lord's compassion for the heathen was set on clear display as a striking contrast to Jonah's hatred for those same people. Jonah's attempt to run from God did not end well for him. Spiritual rebellion reaps what it sows as God reproves and corrects those whom he loves. In Jonah's case, that correction came swiftly and in dramatic fashion. His vessel was engulfed by a storm. Jonah was thrown into the sea and swallowed by a fish. Three days later, a wet and slime-covered prophet collapsed with a stench on dry land when that fish vomited him out. He had just been violently uh, expelled from that fish and the Lord, uh, so that the Lord could teach Jonah a lesson. Jonah had repented, but when God and so when God came to him a second time, he was going to obey this time, at least in action, if not in attitude. The Lord's mercy toward Jonah not only resulted in the prophet's rescue, but also in his restoration to his ministry. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, God commissioned the prophet to go to Nineveh, but Jonah disobeyed. Two chapters later, the Lord issued the same command again, and this time Jonah went. Nineveh, as we said, was on the banks of the Tigris River, approximately 500 miles northeast of Israel um, in what's now the uh, country of Iraq. And according to historians, the walls of this city uh, were almost eight miles long uh, in circumference that enveloped the inner city. And the rest of the city uh, was much greater than that, maybe 60 miles around when you take the whole metro area uh, of the city. The... um, With Nimrod as the founder of that city... Um, the um, residents of Nimrod and the residents of Nimrod, uh, the name Nuhu, which comes from Nimrod, means fish. And thus the city's name could be reduced to Fishtown. And that's what it was known as, Fishtown. Uh, 
And so uh, the people there worshipped the fish goddess Nanshi and the fish god Dagon, and a statue of a man with a fish head was there in the center of the city. Uh, So when Jonah showed up with his uh, story about being vomited out from a fish, which actually that story probably got to Nineveh before he did, uh, that took on special significance to the Ninevites, which likely explains why they they took such a great interest in in who he was and in this fish story. And some people that have looked at this even suggested that the acids from the fish stomach may have bleached Jonah's skin out so that when he arrived there, he had a distinctly white and almost ghostly appearance, as you can imagine, might have been the case. But Jonah's message was more than just a curiosity in that town. He certainly got their attention, but it was also a threat. Listen what he says. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Notice the brevity of that message. Jonah didn't explain in that that they needed to repent and turn to God. He just pronounced judgment. It suggested that he was still reluctant to really explain the prophecy, still hoping that they wouldn't repent and be saved. Nonetheless, what happened next was a more amazing story or miracle than the fish swallowing Jonah. The text declares the miracle in a very understated way. The people of Nineveh believed God. Those few words describe the largest scale revival recorded in the Old Testament as the entire population of Nineveh, numbering in the hundreds of thousands, repented and turned to the Lord. What made them so receptive to Jonah's message? Some have suggested that there were some military defeats or civil unrest to the north of them, some natural phenomena like earthquakes or eclipses that may have preconditioned the people so that they uh, were more receptive to his message. In reality, however, there's no explanation like that that can really uh, explain that except that the Lord went before Jonah and prepared the hearts of the Ninevites for conversion. To accomplish his saving purpose, he used this prophet to bring the rebellious people to faith in himself. The full extent of that repentance is explained in Jonah uh, chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. Everyone in the city, including the king himself, responded with sorrow. And it says there, so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? The king had exchanged his royal robes for sackcloth and ashes in a public display of personal mourning to symbolize the national repentance, the Assyrian king pled to the true God for mercy and forgiveness, just as he had done for Jonah. The Lord answered the king's prayer. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Our youngest daughter and her husband are missionaries in Africa. Like most other missionaries, they would be astounded and beside themselves with joy at such an overwhelming response to their message, but not Jonah. His attitude of prejudicial hatred toward the Assyrians was still firmly embedded in his mind. If the people of Nineveh repented, 
it meant they would not be judged. And that angered Jonah. He wasn't happy about this prospect. Just listen to this incredible statement that he makes. It's almost unbelievable that he would, someone would say this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was it not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I pled to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He'd rather die than see a city saved. We, we sound very, we can look at that and be very judgmental about that, but don't we often have attitudes like that ourselves? I mean, how many of us have thought things like that when we think about what, in our day and culture, what ISIS has done or the, the result of the 9 11 um, disaster? And bombing where they flew the planes into the towers. Don't we have hatred like that towards our enemies at times too? But Jonah persisted and he would have preferred death over the salvation of his enemies. No wonder he fled towards Tarshish, fell asleep in the midst of a, of a storm and volunteered to be thrown overboard. Given the choice, Jonah would have rather died than preached to the Ninevites. I don't think I've ever gotten to that point, but certainly I think we all reflect that attitude at some level. Jonah's rebellion wouldn't turn back the sovereign grace of God, though. The Lord used Jonah to accomplish his saving purposes in spite of Jonah's foolish protest. His attitude was reflected, I think Jonah's attitude was reflected in a poem that Jonathan Swift once wrote, a very scathing satirical poem. It said, We are the chosen few, all others will be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. Okay? So I think that's kind of the attitude that Jonah had uh, in this instance. Jonah... Jonah's prayer not only exposed his own prejudice and pride, but demonstrated, but also it demonstrated the loving kindness and compassion of God. His, in God's infinite mercy and grace, the Lord can rescue any sinner, even one as wicked as the pagan king of a barbarian nation. Jonah recognized that magnitude of God's grace, which is why he initially ran in the opposite direction. He wanted nothing to do with the divine pardon being extended to Israel's enemies. And it's ironic, when Jonah himself was in trouble, he cried out for God's mercy. But when the Lord extended grace to others, Jonah was filled with resentment. When God withheld his wrath from the Ninevites, the prophet himself was angered and annoyed Disbelief, angered that his own prophetic mission had been so successful, Jonah set up a camp on the outskirts of Nineveh and sat down to see if perhaps God will still judge the city. Evidently, he, po he hoped that uh, their repentance would prove to be hypocritical and superficial so that the Lord would still destroy the city after 40 days. And so he constructed a shelter there to shade himself for the sun uh, from the sun and see how everything played out. And as he sat there, God caused a plant to grow up instantly behind him, but then the next day sent a worm to chew on it and a blistering wind to wither that plant, and so all of a sudden his shelter went away. And the text states that Jonah was thankful for the plant, but after it was destroyed, he again became angry. God allowed caused all of that to happen to humble Jonah again and teach him a vital spiritual lesson. True to form, the whining prophet Jonah again wished for death. Um, and the Lord responded to him with his undeserved uh, patience once again. And he said, 
Then God said to Jonah, it is, right for you, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you did not labor, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right and left and their left and much livestock? Jonah's perspective here was completely backward and completely self-centered. He was passionately concerned about a little shade plant uh, and protecting him, uh, him from some discomfort, but he had no compassion for the whole city of Nineveh. Jonah was so stubborn and calloused and um, indifferent to their eternal uh, danger that they faced that he wanted, and he wanted them to be uh, judged. In his contempt, he would gladly have let God condemn the whole city uh, to hell. So the stubborn, prejudiced prophet had been operating out of his own self-interest, but the Lord wanted him to put the eternally significant message of salvation above his own selfish concerns and trivial comforts. How could he be concerned about a weed when hundreds of thousands of souls faced eternal judgment and the opportunity uh, to be saved? The book of Jonah ends very abruptly with those final words from the Lord forming its sudden conclusion. But the lesson for Jonah was unmistakably clear. And that same lesson is vitally important for believers to learn today. Like Jonah, we might be tempted to allow our own fears, prejudices, or selfish interest to inhibit our gospel witness. But when we prioritize the gospel message above our own personal agendas, we bring glory to God and we advance his kingdom uh, purposes throughout the world. <clears throat> like all of the biblical accounts that we've studied so far, the story of Jonah is primarily about God. He is the ultimate hero of the story, the one who saves Nineveh in spite of the rebellious prophet's attempt to thwart that mission. Though the book is relatively short, it nonetheless unfolds three profound, unforgettable truths about the character of God. First, the story of Jonah emphasizes the fact that God is a sovereign creator. Throughout the entire narrative, the reader is continually reminded that the Lord is controlling all of Jonah's circumstances. It is God who sends the wind, incites the storm, calms the seas, prepares the fish, grows the plant, sends the worm, sends the wind once again. The pagan sailors, sailors recognize the Lord's power over creation and worship him as a result of that. The pagan king of Nineveh recognizes God's sovereign hand and surprisingly, the only one that resists God is Jonah himself. Secondly, Jonah reminds us that, the account of Jonah reminds us that God is the supreme judge, that in fact was the message the prophet was to deliver to the Assyrians. After 40 days, their city would become the object of divine wrath. But God's judgment never came upon the people of Nineveh. Instead, it came only in the form of chastisement against Jonah for his disobedience. Recognizing that their doom was imminent, the Ninevites repented and God's wrath was withheld. Finally, Jonah's story reiterates the fact that God is a Savior and his loving kindness is not limited by our prejudicial preconceptions or our personal hatred. The prophet Jonah covered, considered the Assyrians beyond the reach of God's mercy. At least he didn't want it to go there. After all, they were the brutal Gentile enemies of Israel and Israel's God. But the Lord showed Jonah that his saving grace extends to all who repent and believe in him. In this way, the book of Jonah encapsulate, encapsulates the message of salvation. 
When sinners recognize the Lord as sovereign creator and judge of the universe, they cry out to him for mercy. He graciously saves them from divine wrath, giving them eternal life instead. And these truths point to the heart of the gospel. Sinners are creatures who have broken God's law. They await his wrath, yet he offers forgiveness and salvation through the sacrifices of his son. Jesus himself used the prophet Jonah in the three days he spent in the belly of the fish as an illustration of his own death and resurrection. Jesus told the crowd in Matthew, um, as we read already, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Christ, uh, through um, his death and resurrection, demonstrated uh, once and for all that he's the Savior of the world. So certainly when Jesus refers to Jonah as a sign, he's referring to his own impending miraculous resurrection. And there's an interesting footnote to this. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus was challenged to produce a sign, he gave a similar response in John 2, where he said, The Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That, of course, is a a reference to his resurrection as well. So the resurrection of Christ was a significant unparalleled sign. The resurrection is the visible visible, evidentiary proof the Pharisees were demanding in that case. But for those religious leaders who had misled the Jewish nation and the people with their own man-made traditions, the resurrection of Jesus would also be a sign of judgment. Again, that's something we shouldn't miss in this story. The resurrection itself is only one aspect of the sign Jesus was speaking of here. The full significance of that sign of Jonah was much deeper and more ominous than it might first appear. This was more than a prophecy about the resurrection, although it was certainly that. It was also a message of condemnation for the Pharisees and their system of religion. Jonah had been used by God as an instrument of blessing to a whole nation of Gentile, pagan Gentiles. Through Jonah's preaching, God had brought revival to Nineveh. This was a somber message of warning to the unbelieving and rebellious Pharisees. They would have been intimately familiar with the story of Jonah. They knew very well that Jonah was unique among the Old Testament prophets because God sent him on a mission of grace and mercy to a Gentile nation like we had talked about during a time of great apostasy and rebellion there in Israel. The fact could not have escaped these particular Pharisees unless they were brain dead who were challenging Jesus at this point. He, his mention of Jonah meant something very specific for them. And it may have cut to their very heart. At least we hope it did. Additionally, Abner Chow, in a series of lectures on Jonah, points out that Jonah himself was the sign in a a very real way. He ran away initially. Then in chapter 2, he repents and trusts God. And then Yahweh delivers him from the fish. So Jonah himself becomes the proof that Yahweh delivers in his own experience. So that's one of the ways Jesus uses the sign of Jonah. Ironically, though, Chow points out, if Jonah hadn't been disobedient and ran away, this scenario wouldn't have worked. But that's just another proof of God's sovereignty and how even our disobedience is used by God to accomplish his purposes. So Jonah was a display of sovereign grace that prefigured the work of the gospel, reaching out to the Gentiles and redeeming sinners, but bypassing those that held a self-righteous religion like the Pharisees did later. Romans 8, Romans 9, we read, God has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. Furthermore, he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All 
of that is implicit in the sign of Jonah. It is a sign of judgment against the Pharisees. And those who repent from their sin and believe in him, whether Jew or Gentile, will be saved. Although we are not um, the Old Testament prophets like Jonah was, we have been given a mission similar to his. As New Testament believers, our charge is to take the gospel to those who were lost, proclaiming to them the reality of the coming judgment and the hope of salvation. When we resist this responsibility, whether out of fear or pride or a preoccupation with trivial things, we fall into the same trap that Jonah did. But when we are faithful to obey the Lord in this way, we experience the wonderful blessing of being used by him to further his kingdom. There is no greater joy than seeing sinners embrace the good news of salvation. As the Apostle Paul told the Romans, essentially quoting from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So if fear pride or any other thing is holding you back, remember Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. And remember this also. We have an eight-week evangelism class starting in just two weeks. March 5th, Sunday evening at 445 before the Sunday evening service. We've got a sign-up sheet in the foyer. So if you're felt like you're being held back because of fear or not knowing the right thing to say, you need to be in this class, okay? So it's a great time to make sure that we are not motivated or held back from doing what God wants us to do, okay? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this message of Jonah. We thank you that we can, uh, through Jonah, see that you are a merciful God that extends beyond our own limited prejudice and our own thinking and our own fears and Uh, our own desires, that you are sovereign through creation and that you are a merciful God saving the worst of sinners, the people that we most dislike or may even hate like Jonah did. Father, we pray that we might be good disciples, that we might not be um, hesitant to share your good news of Christ dying in our stead to pay the sins so that we can be with you Uh, in heaven forever and uh, we pray that we might uh, communicate that faithfully and articulately to those around us father we thank you for this time today we pray that this might be part of our sanctification that it might not just be head knowledge that we take in but that it truly transforms our walk uh, on a day-to-day basis and that we become more christ-like through what we've learned here today and we pray this in christ's name amen